Hi, I'm glad you're here. I'm Debbie Cook, the past host of the D&B Garden Show, and I'm here with the July edition of the D&B Lawn and Garden Podcast. Today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the heat of summer, because it is summer, it is hot, it's going to be hot for a while, and this is a tough time to be a plant. Um, I'm going to be visiting today with Nick Usabel. Nick is the horticultural extension educator in Canyon County. Um, and besides a dozen other hats that he wears, he is the manager of the Master Gardener program in Canyon County. He manages the plant clinic where we take our plants to say, what the heck is wrong with my plant? And Nick, thanks for joining us. It's nice to visit yes, with you. Yes, it's great to visit with you. Thank you for having me on today. You're welcome for our long, hot summer. Before we get started, I know I mentioned that you manage the plant clinic, which is such an important part of anything that an extension office does. Um, it's a great place to see your tax dollars at work. You can bring a plant in with uh, some sort of a problem and have master gardeners help you identify what could be the problem and what could be the solution, right? Absolutely, yes. We work with a great team of Master Gardener volunteers to do that and our horticulture assistant as well. Have you started that this season? We have started that this season. So for our office, you know, our, our plant clinic runs uh, May through September and uh, we meet Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So Monday and Wednesday is uh, one to four and Fridays from nine to noon. And many of our local county extension offices have plant clinics as well that you can check into. Uh, each operates their times a little bit differently. That's right. And that's one of the things that I want to mention is that every county has um, an, an extension office, right? Yes, we are in 42 of the 44 counties has an actual office at that location. See, that's great. And the extension educators are basically offsite pro professors from the University of Idaho, which is our land grant university. And so we get all kinds of really great scientific updated research information from the universities. And that's one of the benefits of taking advantage of your extension offices and your extension educator. Um, I also know that a lot of different offices uh, do the Master Gardener program. I know Ada County has a huge program and so does Canyon County. And um, there's a way that people can get signed up because you're not doing your classes through the summer, right? Correct. Yes. Our classes are held January through April. So that's when we do our major training here in Canyon County. And individuals who are interested in our county or perhaps you're in another county, the easiest way to find us is to search on online or to type in that web address, uidaho.edu forward slash canyon. In my case, if you were in Ada County, you could do the uidaho.edu forward slash Ada. Um, but you're welcome to uh, get our contact information off of that website. Give our office a call. And if you're in Canyon County and want to be part of that program, we do take an interest list and our application gets sent out to that interest list about mid-October each year. Perfect. You know, it's one of the things that... Um, <laughs> that I, I took the master program quite a few years ago, a long time ago, actually. But it's one of the things that I think is the biggest benefit is that there are people that are new to gardening. There are experienced gardeners that have been gardening their whole lives that are more than happy to share their information and their knowledge. Um, but it's just such a great 
um, fellowship of people that love plants, that want to learn about plants. And especially with so many new people learning or moving into this area, um, these programs are going to be really helpful to them because it just really gives you good basic information about things in our area. Absolutely. Definitely looking at some of those, you know, specific intricacies that we find within our Southwest Idaho or Idaho climates. Yeah, which is a lot different than a lot of other places um, (laughs) where gardening is, you know, popular as well. So gardening in the Intermountain West is a little bit different than gardening other places. So it's going to be hot. We're going to have really, really hot days. Luckily, we cool down a little bit at night, but sometimes not quite cool enough. But let's visit a little bit today about things that this hot weather um, could be causing in our gardens, things that we might look for. And I think this is... (laughs) It's a great time of year in the morning with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee to wander around your garden and keep an eye on what's going on. Try to catch problems that you might see early before they get out of hand in your garden, things that you might be able to easily control. Um, But just enjoy all the work that you put in. Enjoy your garden because, man, this is the time of year when they look glorious, don't they, Nick? They certainly do, yes. If we're lucky. (laughs) If we're lucky, lucky, yes. (laughs) So let's talk about a few things that we might see in our garden. And I know that um, I am the rare person that doesn't really like fresh tomatoes. I grow fresh tomatoes because I like to share them with my family. Um, I like tomatoes in sauces. I can them, I roast them and use them in things. But fresh tomatoes, I'm not so crazy about. But everybody seems to have tomatoes in their garden. And um, while they can produce like crazy, they can also be a little bit troublesome. And one of the things that I think you and I both probably get a lot of questions about is, why aren't my blossoms setting? I'm getting lots of flowers on my plant, but nothing's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we start to think about all those blossoms that are there, or they're starting to fall off. We have kind of what we call blossom drop. And so this generally happens when we get those temperatures uh, in our area that kind of exceed that 90 degrees for an extended period of time. So about 92 um, ish degrees uh, for a lot of our uh tomatoes and peppers that are in our garden. But the second thing that also has to happen is those evening temperatures are also going to remain above about 72 degrees or 75 degrees um, as well. So it's really when we have those very hot days and very warm nights that we start to see those blossoms start to drop and that that flower becomes essentially uh, sterile. And so it doesn't set that fruit like you mentioned. And that blossom just drops without any fruit uh, being set on that particular flower that was developing. Right. And I know that um, what the temperature does really, I think, is it affects the way the pollen moves. It affects the pollination. Um, And one of the uh, pieces of information that I was reading said that temperatures over 104 degrees for only four hours can cause the blossoms to drop. Um, And we certainly have days that are over 100 degrees for more than four hours. So, you know, that's certainly something to think about. But that's exactly what's causing those blossoms to drop is just the fact that the pollination, either the pollen is too dry because of our humidity being so low and can't move, or it um, it just affects the way the pollen moves from plant to plant. Sometimes going out and shaking the plant um, or physically transferring the pollen can be helpful. But basically, 
it's a weather issue, folks. And when it cools down, that's where we get our nice green tomatoes come fall. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the other thing that we see on tomatoes, oh, also blossom drop doesn't just occur on tomatoes. It can certainly occur on other plants as well. I, we get a lot of questions, I think, about squash in particular that are, blo- that are dropping um, blossoms. And that's, you know, blossom drop um, is not uncommon if a plant like a squash has a male and female blossom on the same plant. The males are usually the first flowers that appear. So, of course, they're going to drop off. Um, and then any female flower that doesn't get pollinated will also drop. Um, but you probably also get questions, Nick, about how to tell the difference between a male and a female squash blossom. Oh, yes, absolutely. So when you start to look at that uh, male, as you mentioned, that'll be the first one to kind of show up. And then your female is going to have that fruit attached to it. So, you know, that squash plant that will be or that squash fruit that's going to be attached there as well. So you'll see that baby fruit essentially right behind that blossom that's on that plant. Right. At the very bottom, you'll see that little tiny swollen up area. and um, that's the indication of the female of the female fruit or of the female blossom. So um, the other thing that we see commonly, not only on tomatoes, other fruit can get it as well, but most commonly on tomatoes, and that is that disgusting blossom and rot. Perfect name for it. Yes, definitely. As we start to look at that, you know, blossom and rot being, you know, when you've got that tomato, if we look at tomatoes in this case and on the on the bottom side of that tomato, it kind of starts to, you know, turn tan or looks like it's rotting um, in that particular area. But what's really happening in that plant is that that water that's moving and supporting photosynthesis and, and transpiration uh, ends up moving primarily into the leaves versus the fruit. And as that water moves, it's carrying that calcium mineral and other nutrients, which help, which help to set those products. But once that calcium gets into the leaves, um, it doesn't have the chance to make it back to the fruit itself. So it kind of gets trapped in that leaf category or leaf area. And so all of a sudden we start to see uh, this uh, blossom or it's start, yeah, blossom end rot that's going to start to form um, in that area. So it's, it's really about maintaining that water for these particular plants that show blossom end rot like tomatoes, um, peppers, eggplants, some melons and squashes as well. Right. So it's not that the calcium, which is, this is a sign of a calcium uh, disturbance, I guess we can call it. Um, So it's not that the calcium is not in the soil because the calcium certainly is there. It's just the way the water is particularly moving through the plant and carrying the calcium into the, into the blossom area. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. So the consistent moisture is probably the biggest um, thing you can do to avoid and to alleviate that problem. Exactly. So uh, thinking about, you know, when you're beginning that plant or if you're seeing these stages right now out in your garden, uh, you know, think back to that deep and infrequent watering. Um, We don't want to have inconsistent watering or just daily shallow watering um, or even perhaps, you know, some people end up overwatering. So that also causes that inconsistent watering, that overwatering or those daily shallow waterings uh, do really kind of enhance this problem that we see with this blossom end rot. Uh, but being able to do those deep and infrequent uh, waterings to help get those roots down and growing deep into that soil uh, will definitely help. One of the other things that I would maybe consider in your garden uh, around 
these plants that maybe you experience this blossom in rot is to think about some type of mulch. So that mulch will help to conserve that soil moisture uh, so that we don't have as much evaporation taking place out of that soil. And so when we think about mulch, uh, look at like a, a weed-free straw, uh, perhaps grass clippings if you haven't applied any herbicide onto that particular lawn. Um, and wood chips are, are really nice to use as well that really can be left on top of that soil. Perfect. That's a great idea. I mean, honestly, I, I am a huge fan of mulch, the way it conserves moisture. Plus on the, another benefit is it's going to hold your weeds down for you. So um, a benefit all the way around. Plus a good organic mulch as it decomposes, adds a nice, uh, some really good nutrients to the soil. Um, so I am a huge fan of mulch. So um, one of the things that uh, Nick and I were talking about before we started recording today was um, blossom and rot on peppers and how sometimes because of our intense heat, our fruit can indeed experience scorch or sunburn. And sometimes peppers in particular, because they've got that very thin skin, and if they get a lot of sun exposure in that, you know, late afternoon sun when it's so intense, they can get a scorched area on the side, which looks a little bit similar to blossom and rot, don't you think, Nick? I do. Yeah, it has very similar characteristics when you kind of look at it. And for me, and as we start to look at plants or fruits that come into plant clinic, uh, you know, on the where that blossom ends, so kind of thinking back to the name blossom end rot, but on the underside of that where those lobes of that pepper are, that will be where your blossom end rot would start versus if you had that sun scald issue that might be on the side, perhaps it's near the bottom, but you know, really kind of thinking about does that fruit get full sun or is it, you know, not in an area that's protected by those leaves that are on that, that pepper right. plant. And I think that scorch is a little more papery almost um, and more of a tan color than sometimes that black rot that you'll see on blossom and rot. Yes. So a couple of little tips there. Um, most of the things that Nick and I are talking about today can be um, avoided or like I said, alleviated with some cultural practices. You can change the way you water. You can change the timing of your water. Some of those kind of things, um, you know, increase air circulation. But one of the things we're going to talk about next uh, is peach tree borer. And this is something that will most likely need to be treated because peach tree borer can kill your tree, um, especially young trees. And I know you might be saying, well, it's a peach tree. I don't have a peach tree. But the peach tree borer will affect anything that's in that stone fruit family. So anything with that center pit, like a peach. So we're talking cherries, plums, nectarines, um, and of course, peaches. Uh, but also not only your fruiting trees, but your ornamental trees can be affected by this. So flowering cherries, your flowering plums. This insect works at ground level. Basically, you will see you won't see damage up in the branches. You won't see it on the leaves. You're going to see it within the first. I'm going to say, I don't know, six inches or so above the ground. I've rarely seen it higher than that. How about yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely kind of you know under that six inch area near the ground, uh, you know, starting to see kind of some uh, frass or sawdust kind of mixed with a gummy, some substance near the base. So that might be, you know, an indicator that you've been nabbed by this peach tree borer, uh, with that larva, uh, that's in there working on that particular tree. 
Right. And the treatment time is now July through August. So these two months is when the adult insect is out flying. Uh, They are a clear winged moth and they look wasp like um, kind of maybe a darker uh, slate gray or blue color. Um, But they are a clear winged moth. Uh, She lays her eggs basically at ground level. They tunnel in and can cause all kinds of trouble because they interrupt the flow of nutrients and water up and down that tree. What do you think the best treatment is for this? Yeah, so I think uh, in terms of control, that chemical control is going to be our most preventative treatment. And it is a preventative control um, as we start to look at at what's happening uh, using that insecticide. So go ahead and, you know, check in with your uh, local resources and look for that label that's that product that's labeled for peach tree borer. And then just be cautious to um, use that required pre-harvest interval. So the time between your last application um, and when you're allowed to harvest that fruit, if you're using this insecticide product. And w- once right. you start, you've got to follow that interval. You know, maybe your products every, every week or every two weeks, or maybe you have a product that you can apply once a month. Right. Highly recommend not using a systemic insecticide on a food crop. Um, And besides, systemic insecticides do not work on this particular type of boar. If your boar is a clear-winged moth, systemic insecticides do not work. So um, only needing to treat the the trunk um, and maybe uh, the crotch areas of of the tree, but certainly not the branches or the leaves. So... Keep an eye on that because that is a serious insect. We mentioned it because now is the time to begin treating that insect. Um, And so heads up on that. Um, The other thing that we kind of want to talk about a little bit, and that is just kind of taking care of our turf this time of year. Um, Our lawns also suffer. We have cool season grasses here. They're very happy um, early spring and late fall when the temperatures are a little bit cooler. When it gets as hot as it is now, um, the grasses, our cool season grasses, basically go kind of semi-dormant. What do you think the best way to handle our turf is this time of year? Absolutely. Yeah. So really kind of things that we want to try and work on would be um, trying to increase that uh, mowing height for those turf. So, you know, a lot of individuals may have like a Kentucky bluegrass or a fine fescue grass mixed in there. So, you know, at least three inches, maintaining at least three inches. If you have a tall fescue, uh, bumping that up to four inches, but that increase of height really does uh, help us, uh, you know, add a little bit more um, shade to that soil surface as well, Um, helps reduce that water evaporation and uh, increasing that length of the blade growth also helps to encourage uh, deeper root growth as well, which, which helps us all the way around. And, you know, also thinking about your watering, being able to keep that water uh, into that soil, making sure that we're getting a nice deep water you know, that 10 to 12 inches, uh, perhaps as you're looking, uh, and being able to investigate what's happening in your soil in that turf as well. Right. Perfect. That's a, that's great information. And that's, you know, raise your blade and water deeply and, um, and, and keep in mind that about the end of August, when we start cooling down, um, it's a good time to, you know, Refertilize your lawn after this, you know, the heat of summer, and um, 
and then the lawn will perk up as as the season cools down. But for now, I think that that's really good information, Nick. So we are about out of time, but I know that last year, because of the craziness that was going on in our world, there were no fairs happening. All of our local um, county fairs were canceled. But this year there are fairs. They are opening it up, and I know that the Kenyon County Fair is July 20th through August 1st, and the Western Idaho Fair down at the fairgrounds in Boise is August 20th through August 29th. Highly encourage people, if you've got a garden, get your blue ribbon. You get bragging rights for the rest of the year. Absolutely. It's a great way to to (laughs) interact with your local fair as well that like you mentioned, the Canyon County Fair, July 29th through August 1st. But, you know, generally checking in those products, whether they're flowers, fruits, vegetables, other horticulture exhibits. Um, And so check out check out those local fairs and see how you can enter or what you can enter uh, to potentially. You know, we've all done it. We've all gone to the fair and seen those ribbons and said, ah, I should have entered. <laughs> I could have gone the blue ribbon. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, keep that in mind. It's a very, very fun thing to do. Um, if you've got grandkids or if you've got kids, have them enter something as well. They've got kids categories, junior categories. It's um, highly recommended. So keep that in mind this, you know, later this summer, it'll be fun to do. So Nick, we are about out of time, but one of the things that I'd like to mention really quickly before we leave is that um, the Canyon County Master Gardeners were responsible for bringing the Pest Alert Network to us, which I can't encourage people enough to go to the Canyon County Master Gardener website. You will find a link to this pest network, and I encourage you to sign up. Why should they do that? Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to want to sign up for the Pacific Northwest Pest Alert Network because we are monitoring insects that are happening in uh, the Treasure Valley in Canyon County. And we're sending out alerts to let you know when those insects arrive, what treatments uh, you can use or cultural controls that you can take in your landscape and garden to help uh, improve your gardening aspects. So, you know, like you mentioned, checking out the University of Idaho Canyon County website will get you there. You can also directly go to PNW, just like Pacific Northwest. So pnwpestalert.net. And you can join our alert mailing list there. One of the things you're going to want to make sure and, and join in that process is to select the landscape and garden so that you don't right. get crop alerts, but select landscape and garden for those specific. So right. do appreciate our Master Gardener volunteers helping to, to monitor for these insects and pests in our area. Yeah, it's very helpful. I mean, for example, I think that I got something um, and I get something, you know, every time they find something. But the one I specifically remember was on cherries and it was a cherry fruit fly that they said that they had had shown up about the 28th of May. Um, uh-huh. and that's So there's an example of what what they will let you know is we have discovered this. Now is the time that if you're going to treat or if you want to know, here's the timing. So it's great. And I, um, I know that the master gardeners in Canyon County were responsible for getting that started in our area. So much appreciated to your program and much appreciative to you for sharing some time with us this yeah. month. Really, really great information. And I appreciate it a lot. So thank you for your time. Nick. Yes. Thank, thank you for having me on today. You're welcome. And um, I will say goodbye and I will be back next month uh, with more August garden information. So have a really wonderful July. Stay cool if you can. Take care of your garden. Go out and take some pictures. You'll be really glad you did. See you in August. Bye-bye. <music>